I want, I want, I want me, 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 mine, 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 now, now, now. You know you're responsible for what you hear. You know you're responsible for what you hear. Greetings and welcome to Thoughts from the Hairy Head, the weekly podcast where I talk about, well, whatever happens to be bouncing around inside my head at the moment, but mostly focusing on constitutional issues and political decentralization. This is episode 17 of Thoughts from the Hairy Head, and I really appreciate you tuning in. This week, I'm going to tell you a story of courage. You know, people can only hold power over you if you allow it. Too many Americans today allow it. I interact with people on a daily basis who express deep frustration with the federal government. But when I propose refusing to cooperate or nullification, they suddenly get all wobbly. They say, oh, it won't work. The feds will insert horrible thing the feds will do here. In truth, the federal government lacks the resources, if not the will, to do, insert horrible thing the feds will do here. But even if they do, should we allow that to stop us? Should we shrink back in fear? No, of course not. Not if we truly value liberty. You know, freedom takes courage. I think we pretty much all learned about the Underground Railroad in grade school. We were taught about the courageous Northerners who hid runaway slaves and helped them gain their freedom. But government schools never taught us the whole story. As far as I can recall, nobody ever explained exactly who the bad guys were. They were just this nebulous group of people the teacher called slave catchers. The history books never mention the fact that the bad guys were backed by the full force of the U.S. government and were often federal agents themselves. No, in every official slavery narrative, the Confederates were the bad guys, and the U.S. government rode in on its white horse to free the oppressed black people. The truth about the fugitive slave era doesn't fit the template. So down the memory hole it went. Here's the truth. Northern abolitionists defied federal law to assist accused runaways. These people demonstrated the kind of courage we need today. They weren't deterred by fear of the federal government. They recognized the risk, and they acted anyway. I want to tell you a story today that demonstrates exactly how much courage these people had. On September 13, 1858, a federal marshal in Oberlin, Ohio, arrested a fugitive slave named John Price. Hoping to avoid trouble from local abolitionists, the marshal took Price to the nearby town of Wellington by train. But word quickly spread, and a group of Oberlin residents went to Wellington and met up with the local abolitionists in that town. Determined 
to win Price's freedom. The marshal and his deputies took refuge in a hotel. The abolitionists tried to negotiate for Price's release. But when that failed, they stormed the motel and found that Price had been hidden in an attic. They ushered Price out of town and eventually brought him safely to freedom in Canada. Now keep in mind that under the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, aiding an accused runaway or even interfering with fugitive slave rendition was a federal crime, punishable by six months in jail and a $1,000 fine. That amounts to about $27,000 today. Every man and woman who helped John Price gain his freedom on that September day knowingly broke federal law and accepted the possibility of arrest and punishment. These consequences were very real. In fact, a federal grand jury indicted 37 participants in the rescue under the Federal Fugitive Slave Act. In response, Ohio authorities arrested the federal marshal and his deputies. That led to tense negotiation between Ohio officials and the federal government. Unsurprisingly, the state eventually released the federal agents without trial or punishment. But the federal government also released 35 of the 37 rescuers that were indicted and arrested. A jury later found two of those men guilty in federal court, but they received relatively light sentences of just 20 and 60 days in jail. Charles Langston was one of the two men convicted by that federal jury. He was a free black man. His father had fought in the American Revolution. Before his sentencing, the court allowed Langston to speak. I'm going to link to the whole speech in the show notes. I highly encourage you to read the whole thing. It's an amazing speech. As Langston addressed the court, he said he did it, and he swore he would do it again. I'm going to read a part of what he said. Quote, I shall submit to the penalty, be it what it may. But I stand up here to say that if for doing what I did on that day at Wellington, I am to go to jail six months and pay a fine of $1,000 according to the Fugitive Slave Law, and such is the protection the laws of this country afford me, I must take upon myself the responsibility of self-protection. And when I come to be claimed by some perjured wretch as his slave, I shall never be taken into slavery. And as in that trying hour, I would have others do to me as I would call upon my friends to help me, as I would call upon you, your honor, to help me, as I would call upon you, district attorney, to help me, and upon you, to judge bliss, and upon you, to this council. So help me, God. I stand here to say that I will do all I can for any man thus seized and help, though the inevitability of a penalty of six months imprisonment and $1,000 fine for each offense hangs over me. We have a common humanity. You would do so. Your manhood would require it. And no matter what the laws might be, you would honor yourself for doing it. Your friends would honor you for doing it. Your children to all generations would honor you for doing it. And every good and honest man would say, you had done right. End quote. I wonder how many of the people who run around flapping their gums about slavery today as if they were carving out some grand moral position would have had the courage to stand up with Langston against power and oppose slavery when it really mattered in the 1850s, when it was unpopular 
when the possibility of helping a free slave, even giving him a piece of bread, could land you in prison or broke. Very few, I imagine. Most of those people today are just followers. Langston didn't think much of those who meekly submit. In fact, as he was arguing that the jury that convicted him was not made up of his peers and that it was prejudice against him, he condemned his own people for allowing themselves to remain in bondage. He did not blame the white man for slavery. He blamed his own people. Listen carefully to what he said. And the prejudice which the white people have against colored men grow out of this fact that we have, as a people, consented for 200 years to be slaves of the whites. We have been scourged, crushed, and cruelly oppressed and have submitted to it all tamely, meekly, peaceably. I mean as a people and with rare individual exceptions. And today you see us thus, meekly submitting to the penalties of an infamous law. Now, the Americans have this feeling, and it is an honorable one, that they will respect those who will rebel at oppression, but despise those who tamely submit to outrage and wrong. And while our people, as a people, submit, they will always be a people despised. Why, they will hardly meet on terms of equality with us in a whiskey shop, in a car, at a table, or even at the altar of God. So thorough and hearty a contempt have they for those who will meekly lie still under the heel of the oppressor. End quote. I ask you this. Will we find ourselves despised by our posterity? Well, that's it for this episode of Thoughts from Meharry Head. I really appreciate you listening. If you enjoyed this, please do me a favor and spread the word. Make sure you head over to iTunes if you haven't already and subscribe to the podcast there. And feel free to send me any thoughts or ideas at michael.meharry at 10thamendmentcenter.com. Thank you again for listening. Have a great week.